Okay, yeah, no, happy to be here. Um, always, it's always good to be with a room full of uh, entrepreneurs and investors and people who are out looking to make a difference in the world. And and I count myself, I counted a privilege to uh, run with that group. And uh, let me see if I, there we go. All right, cool. Because I really, truly believe I get to work with some of the best individuals on the planet and some of the some of my most favorite people to hang out with are entrepreneurs business owners and investors and so uh i'm going to tell you a little bit about my background well first i think i'm pretty uh pretty comfortable sharing this with this group because uh i'm pretty sure if you were the conventional type you wouldn't be taking your time out and and investing your time in yourself and and being on a program like this so I came up with this quote and trademarked it a, a few years back. It said, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Uh, pick one. And, you know, I, I really believe that. I just really believe that if you're conventional, and, and you, could, you could drop a few different words in there where it says you can be wealthy, you can be successful, you can be healthy, you can be whatever. You could drop a bunch of different words in there. But I just really think that conventional wisdom isn't... Um, isn't going to set you up in a place of success. And so we're going to be talking about some of those non-conventional uh, paths to wealth, you know, non-conventional or non-conventional um, kind of look into investments, into tax. You know, the conventional way to look at tax is to think, well, I made a lot of money this year. I got to pay a lot of tax, right? That's that's conventional thinking. We're going to break that paradigm. We're going to talk about some of that. It's not really on top. That part of it is really not on topic. So I'm hoping they'll forgive me for not uh, for for coming off topic a little bit. But it's it's part of my story and it's near and dear to my heart because it you know when I figured this out it changed my life. So a little bit about me, that's our family business. I was born and raised in this business. Uh, the picture on the left was uh, you know, the first from the year I was born. My dad bought that business the year I was born. I worked in that business till, um, oh man, it was probably, we were we were at that place for about 25 years before we moved over to the picture on the right and greatly expanded our operation. And I was, uh, we're now there about, right about 20 years at the new location on your right. So. Lots of experience in the modular building space. That's my background. As I was growing up in the business, I started building some other businesses. Uh, some of them had to do with the modular building space. Several of them had to do with modular building space. And I started, uh, some of those businesses started doing really well. And I started making a lot of money and, and eventually got myself in a position where I was paying half a million dollars a year in tax. And I got tired of it. And I kept hearing people make the statement, well, actually, several people, um, Robert Kiyosaki made statements like, you make you can make millions of dollars a year and pay no tax legally. Drove me crazy. That wasn't me. Um, Tom Rulwright says, if you want to change your tax, you got to change your facts. And so I all of a sudden realized that I was getting treated, I was getting taxed because of the way I was behaving. So I was making a lot of money. I was, I was, um, you know, bringing home a lot of money. But at the end of the day, I was a tax slave. There's Robert Kiyosaki's quote, along with Tom Wheelwright's. These, these couple quotes changed, changed the course of my life. 
set me off, off on a path to sort of research and discovery, and it, it really did change my life. So we're going to talk about some some asset classes, and and you know really today it's it's you know there's there's syndicators, there's passive investors, there's really mom and pop um, investors. They're they're looking for value, and it's hard to find in today's market. It's not like uh, when I started buying multifamily back in 2011 and 12, when there was lots of low-hanging fruit, and you just go out and, and find deals at pencil day, all day long, and they were good deals. And, and today, it's a little bit different. You don't have a lot of low-hanging fruit. I'm not saying there's not good deals out there. There are. There's, there's a lot of good deals out there that work. They're just, they're just not as plentiful as they used to be, and, it's harder, and they're harder to find. So some of the things you could be asking yourself, you know, where's the value? How do I find value in today's market when it seems like all asset classes are, or most asset classes are overpriced? Which asset class? You know, one of the things um, in today's market, one of, the, one of the sort of things that you can do to set yourself apart is create value. You know, you, you may not be able to buy, go out and buy a, uh, well-established, stabilized self-storage facility or apartment building that gives you, you know, a lot of revenue out of the gates, you may have to create some value. And then one of, one of my personal favorites is, is bringing talent in to take a single focused asset and turn it into multiple streams of income. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a bit. So, we're going to talk about some of the investment deals that I like, and really, um, for a little bit more history, I gave you my backstory when I was a kid and growing up into my teens and early twenties. Um, I then, when I figured out that real estate and multifamily apartments and uh, you know the, how the tax system works and how you can use bonus depreciation to offset your tax liability on your on your income, and you can you know accelerate depreciation, cost sake study, bonus depreciation, all that. Um, I started buying multifamily apartment buildings and I quickly got myself to, you know, a really high tax paying situation to zero. And, you know, all while increasing my income. And so I ventured down that path, got myself in a position where, you know, after buying several hundred units of apartment buildings, my own, uh, I ran out of money. Um, and then I engaged my family and my brothers and, and, you know, and then I, after that, I engaged my close friends and business associates. And, and I really started going down that path to the point where next thing you know, I'm a syndicator before I even really realized what is, what a syndicator was, but I, you know, went down the legal route. I went down the, the path of, you know, learning how to put a deal together and, and syndicating these deals. So today, uh, these asset classes that you see on the screen are, are really just a um, kind of reflection of my own portfolio. Um, we were one of the top four ATM operators in the country. Um, we're one of the, by the end of the year, uh, will be the second, I believe will be the second largest Tommy's Express car wash uh, franchisee in the entire company. Um, we're a major player in institutional grade A-class self-storage facilities. 
And we also like natural gas. And, and really what I do a lot of is I find an asset class that works for me, that does things for me and my portfolio and keeps me tax efficient. And then, you know, if I can find an, an asset class like that, and I really like the asset class, and I find an operator team that I'm really comfortable with, um, then I like to, you know, and, and, and we have the, the ability to scale, then I'll introduce it to my investors and, and we'll go and, you know, we'll grow the business, we'll, um, you know, do more business, we'll do more of it. And so the ATM space, um, we're one of the top four ATM operators. We love the car wash space. Self-storage uh, is a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great time to own self-storage. Uh, self-storage can act as an inflation hedge. Um, it can act as a hedge in your portfolio for, you know, when things are going bad, that's when you want self-storage in your portfolio. When it's 2008 to 2010, you want to own self-storage. Best performing commercial real estate asset class amongst all of its peers, um, being less negatively impacted going into the recession, 2008 to 2010, and recovering the quickest coming out of the recession. And so just a really good asset class to own when things are not going well. Also a good asset class to own when things are going well, but when there's you know, downsize, when there's divorce, when there's death, uh, disruption. I mean, it, it sounds really bad. And those things, none of those things are good when they're happening to you. But I can tell you that when those things are going on, self-storage can be a real hedge in your portfolio and can, can do very well. And, and, and many of these um, asset classes, you know, one of the, one of the first tests that I run these asset classes through, I want to see how did those asset classes perform in 2008 to 2010? How did they perform in 20, uh, 2020 to 2022? You know, are they resilient? Um, I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. We got about a, a 28% uh, margin buffer built in to the ATM space meaning that transaction volume could decline as much as 28% before investors would see any negative impact on their returns. So in the spring of 2020, in April, May, we went, we dropped as much as 11%. Uh, and that was the worst part of the, you know, of, of, you know that was the worst uh, impact that we had on any of our portfolios was around 11%. Um, when you've got a 28% buffer, you can weather the storm. You know, I always, I always find it interesting when I see um, people trying to make a deal happen or when they say, oh, man, we had a 50-point basis rate hike, interest rate hike, and that killed my deal. I just... I guess I'm not smart enough to operate with those kinds of margins because I need more. I need more flex. I need more margin for error. And so I love these asset classes, what you see on the screen. I'm heavily invested in these asset classes. And, you know, I can walk through each one of them and kind of tell you why and what I like about them, trying to make sure I don't run out of time. And I'll give you some worst case scenarios on them.
uh, kind of to follow, get back on script here. Um, ATMs, what do they do for you? Uh, if you're looking, by the way, if you're looking for diversification, there's probably not much bigger diversification anywhere in your portfolio than if you were to do ATMs and self-storage. And I'll tell you why. ATMs, it's, it's all about cash flow. You know, you're buying an income stream. Somebody walks up to that ATM machine, swipes their card. There's a $3 transaction, a surcharge transaction that happens. Uh, you take a piece of that, that, that revenue. Um, so it's a cash flow play. Our self-storage facilities are typically not real robust on the cash flow side. And the reason is because it's a, we're a value add shop. We're buying from a mom and pop operator. Many times we're buying from a mom and pop operator and we're selling to an institution. So we're buying from a mom and pop operator. We're bringing in professional management. We're bumping those rents. We're you know, growing the NOI, we're, we're adding, re adding to the retail, we're many times we're adding climate controlled square footage. So we'll go into a property that's, you know, say 75,000 square feet, and we'll add another 30 or 40,000 square feet of climate controlled units to the property. So we're not making a ton of money throughout the hold. Cash flow is modest. You know, you're looking at three to 7% cash on cash returns. Um, ATMs, very aggressive on the on the uh, bonus depreciation, 100% bonus depreciation, 80% year one. Um, Self-storage, very little. It's a modest tax play. Um, many times we're not even, you know, we're, we're not even doing a cost seg study until we're done adding the value, adding the square footage and, and getting it ready to, to really ramp up. So very different on that. On that respect too, ATMs, very aggressive on the tax side, on the depreciation side, self-storage, pretty modest on the tax side. But here's where it flips. At the end of the deal, let's say you were to hold both of them for seven years. At the end of seven years, the ATM machines are pretty much worthless. You get, we're projecting around $3,000 back for your $104,000 investment on the front end. Um, so you got no equity. Um, self-storage, huge potential equity. Um, we've, we exited 26 of our properties to a, a, a large REIT out of Chicago in November of 21. That was a $450 million deal. Our investors netted between 30 and 31% annualized. Um, but where most of that return came from was on the exit, not during the hold, even though they, they got some cash flow during the hold. Um, We'll jump right over to car washes. We're building a lot of car washes. We're, you know, kind of the target is to be at 105 years. Um, so we're very busy in the car wash space. We got eight operational right now, and we're expecting we'll be somewhere between 15 and 20 between now and the end of the year, or or by the time we get to the end of the year. One of the things, one of the things that's unique about a car wash and a gas station that doesn't apply to other brick and mortar buildings. One of the things that's unique here is the building, you can depreciate it at the same rate or speed as the equipment inside the building. Very different from most other commercial real estate. You can depreciate that building. So you don't have to get a cost sake study done. You can bonus depreciate that thing just like it was a, a piece of the equipment or machinery inside the building. 
So it's very unique there. It's very aggressive on the on the tax side. It's very aggressive on the cash flow side, and it's just a really interesting. So so there, I, I gave you the example of the ATMs and the self storage where. You know, you had the tax benefit on the one, you didn't have it on the other, you had the cash flow on the one, you very modest on the other, uh, you had equity on the one, not on the other. I would have to say on the car wash side, you've got to get the best of both worlds. You get aggressive cash flow. We're seeing operating margins between 40 and 50%. That's pretty incredible. So when you've got somebody trying to make a deal work and their 50 basis point uh, rate hike kills the deal. I would, I would probably, for me, there's not enough of margin there. When you're talking 40 to 50% margin, operating margins, um, your cost of capital, yes, it matters, but it doesn't kill a deal when you're talking 5%, 8%, 12%, 20%. Um, your cash flow is strong enough to overcome. So very aggressive. Uh, the other thing that we find very exciting is it's a very fragmented space. Lots of mom and pop operators, very few institutional operators. In fact, the biggest institutional operator, Mr. Carwash, just went public, I don't know, two or three years ago, um, is the biggest player in the space. Um, Mr. Um, owns about 5% of the global revenue coming from car washes. So when you think about, you know, we, we always said self-storage was, self-storage space was fragmented and it is, it's becoming less fragmented as, you know, as we go along, institutions want the product, the very desirable product. They, they are aware of some of the things I just mentioned about the recession resistance, about the, you know, the upside, the equity appreciation. Um, but when you look at the car wash space, you're talking about micro fragmented, I mean, you're talking about you're talking about the biggest player in the space. You, you, you'd be talking like McDonald's or somebody in the food space where they, you know, you're talking about the, the biggest player in the space only having 5% of the global revenue. Uh, that's micro fragmented. And here's where the opportunity is, is in that space. We're seeing institutions, much like we saw this happening early in the self-storage space, we're seeing institutions aggressively coming after this asset class because they know this. They know they're aware of the operating margins. They're aware of the depreciation, the tax benefits, the cash flow. Uh, they're and and they're chasing chasing this asset class aggressively. You know, we're we're looking the Wall Street Journal just had an article uh in it uh six or eight months ago that talked about car washes and how you know um institutions are really done uh, you know, they're, they're really after this space and they're aggressively trying to get into space and they're paying up to 18 to 20 times EBITDA. The problem here is these institutions aren't going to mom and pops to buy their car washes. They want to stroke eight and nine figure checks, mostly nine figure checks. And they want to take down, you know, we've seen those multiples, but those multiples are happening on well-run portfolios of 20 to 25 car washes and up. And there's not a lot of them. You know, so even consolidation in this business, when you scoop up a bunch of mom and pops, when we scoop up, you know, 20 mom and pop operators in a, you know, let's say a hundred mile radius, 
it's very it's a very tough consolidation just simply because you got you may have 20 different operators with eight different kinds of equipment in those stores using six different kinds of detergents and you know all kinds of parts and pieces that you know don't they're not compatible with each other that's kind of a problem when you do a roll up and you know you got 10 different flavors inside your inside your business kind of a problem uh we're building a very consistent um car wash and these things are all built the same uh it's a, a little bit like chick-fil-a when you go to eat in a chick-fil-a in pennsylvania and then you go to eat in a chick-fil-a in colorado it's the same quality chicken sandwich that's what you can expect when you go through a tommy's express car wash this is a volume-based business um the idea is to put one of these on one of the most desirable street corners in the city. And the whole business model is built around getting a customer off the road, getting them back on the road in two to three minutes with a clean car. So lots of lots of volume, the better the, the location, very important to have a really good location on a car wash. We are, some of you may be familiar um, if you've heard a presentation before or seen me do these before, some of you may be familiar with our old model. We started the car wash model. We started this business as a death fund and we built a couple, you know, we, we got several lots through, um, you know, sort of the entitlement process. We bought some car wash, some operating car washes, but we started as a debt fund really small. Then we went to scale up. We, uh, included investors in our equity um, portion of the fund until they reached a 1.75x. They got 100% of the cash flow until they got to 1.75x their money. Meaning if you invest $100,000, you got out a couple of years, you got to 175 and then you exited. We are about to rule out and this is going to be happening next week. We're about to rule out our equity model that's going to allow investors to stay in the whole deal all the way to the end and be a part of that, uh, you know, exit. And, you know, hopefully, and we believe this is going to happen because we're in the very front end of this, but hopefully we'll get some of those aggressive multiples, um, you know, that I that I mentioned that's, that's actually happening today. We, we know of some private deals that are going down that the multiples are even higher than that. They're in the 20s. And so this stuff is not theory, it's actually happening. Um, let's talk about gas for a second, then I'll talk about some worst case scenarios before we run out of time. Um, we like natural gas. Um, I've been a natural gas investor for about five years uh, with one family out of Pittsburgh, and we love the natural gas space. We believe that based on the fundamentals that we see developing, that natural gas has a uh, bright history. And, you know, we've seen natural gas prices swing in between, you know, let's say 150 to $4 to $9.20 in August, and then back to 150, 130. You know, it, it, this is a volatile business. And I don't know, and, and, and here's, here's the cool thing. It's a 30, a, a natural gas well has a 30 to 50 year productive life. So to me, I'm much more patient than I used to be. To me, it doesn't matter if we get $10 gas three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now, or 36 months from now. 
I just believe that we're going to uh, see it again in the near future. And, and so it doesn't matter when we see it. I need to know if it's going to happen. And so I believe the fundamentals are in place to get high single digit, low double digit gas in our near future. Um, one of the things that we really like about that asset class is you, you get to use the uh, tax benefits that come with this, very aggressive tax benefits, and you get to use those tax deductions to offset the tax liability on your ordinary income. So let's say you're working for KPMG or, or some big organization and you're making a couple hundred grand a year, W-2, there's not a lot of options for you from a tax perspective. You're making a lot of money, but you're a tax slave because you know there's there's not a whole lot of options. Natural gas is one of the few asset classes that will give you protection against ordinary income. So we love that. Um, let's talk about some worst case scenarios. Um, I'll just go down the line. Um, worst case scenario for us in the ATM space was COVID, spring of 2020. You know, we, we, many of our locations picked up business, became busier. Uh, we were in almost entirely all essential based, uh, essential businesses. But what did drag our portfolio down was we had a lot of airport exposure. Airport exposure is usually considered a very good institutional grade sort of location. Well, in the spring, summer of 2020, yeah, not so much. So, you know, worst case scenario could be, you know, I mean, look, this is a transaction. This is a volume based business. And so you look at that and you say, okay, what could make that volume go down? You know, is it CBDC? Is it new technology? Is it crypto? Is it, you know, regulation? Whatever. I can tell you that, you know, despite the fact that we had all the new technology come out, Apple Pay, Google Wallet, Venmo, Cash App, cryptos of a whole bunch of different kinds, you know, Strike, you know, you just, you just, you can just go down the list. I can tell you that the use of cash is increasing, not decreasing. The reason for that is the demographic that we serve is a unique group of people, and it's one of the fastest growing groups in the country. It's not us. It's probably nobody on this, on this call uses a lot of cash. I know I don't. Um, but it's you know the unbanked, the underbanked, it's the immigrants, it's lower income, it's EBT card carriers. That's our customer, and they deal almost primarily in cash. Um, worst case scenario for a self storage. I'll tell you a quick story. We bought a facility, self storage facility. I believe it was in 2019, and we were going through the renovation. We had bought a a, a warehouse next door, right across the street, and we're turning a, I think it was a 40,000 square foot facility into a 60,000 square foot facility. I forget the numbers, but it was right across the street. We, you know, really gutted the interior and put climate controlled self storage in. Well, it was in Columbia, South Carolina. Well, Columbia, South Carolina, um, you know, there's a lot of universities in Columbia. And so, what do you not need nearly as much of when your university is shut down? You don't need as much self-storage. Well, totally out of, out of our control. 2020, here comes COVID-19. We're in the middle of this rehab and trying to you know, get this place up and stabilized. 
not a great time to try and stabilize a self-storage facility in the middle of COVID-19 when the students all went home. But that one was a part of that roll-up. That was the worst performing self-storage facility I had ever done. And that was definitely the worst one in that portfolio that we sold. That one returned our investors around 17%, 15 to 17% uh, cash on cash return over the life of the hold. And I think it was three years. Um, that was the worst one. The best one was a 61, a 60, 66% annualized return to our investors. It was one that we had taken from 50,000 square foot to 75,000 square foot and then turned around and sold it three, three, three and a quarter years later. Um, but, you know, that's some of the things that can go bad. And, you know, as many of you know, when you're running a business or, you know, have an investment like this, there's stuff goes wrong. So just, you know, just be prepared for that. So worst case scenarios in a car wash, I'll give, I'll give you a quick story. Um, we had purchased one of the top performing uh, Tommy's car washes in the entire organization at Tommy's. And uh, a week later, there was a fire. We had we were doing some improvements downstairs. We were welding, and you know you wouldn't think of car wash being a very good place to to have a fire break out. I mean, just turn the sprinklers on, right? Uh, but we had a fire, and we had a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of damages. We had to shut the car wash down for you know a couple weeks. But you know stuff happens. I mean, I could go on and on. We could we could fill the rest of this webinar up with uh, you know nightmares and what can go wrong. Uh, had a, we had a flood and a lightning strike in an office building that I had purchased way back a lot of years ago. A flood and a lightning strike within four months. Flood, flooded out the, the you know four or five of the units. Yeah, you got that all fixed up. And you know, two months, two or three months later, here comes uh, here's another one. Lightning strike, burnt part of the building up and smoke damaged a couple. Of, uh, look, stuff happens. So you just got to be expecting those things and be ready to jump on it and and you know it's our job as investors business owners and entrepreneurs to solve problems right so i could go on and on um i will leave you with this before you jump my half hours up already i will leave you this before we jump off and go to q a let's build a wealth building goal together how about if we set a wealth building goal that says, look, in five years from now or 10 years from now, you pick the number, my passive income is going to exceed my ordinary income. So let's build some income streams together. Let's get tax efficient, get in the game, buy assets that give you depreciation. This sounds simple, but it's, I mean, it sounds hard, but it's not really that hard. You buy assets that give you depreciation and then use that depreciation you, uh, you then have tax savings. Instead of paying the government, you turn around and use those tax savings to buy more assets with depreciation. It starts with massive kind of snowball and gets you momentum. And then just rinse and repeat and you know build yourself a massive income stream tax-free. So I am going to stop. I can keep right on going, but I'm not going to. I'll stop and you guys can uh, feel free to share anything, ask me any questions. If you want specific details on the deal, I'm guessing you these guys will have my information on there. Actually, you know what? I'll go there. And uh, you can send me an email. I can get you information on any one of these deals that I talked about. And we can talk tax. We can talk how the income works, all that good stuff. I got packets on each one of them. But uh, I'm going to open it up for questions. Looking forward to it. So bring them on. <laughs> 